And so, Father, would you add help to us today? Would you bring the Spirit to minister to us today and help us see what the Word says and what it doesn't say and uh, draw our hearts close to you? Lord, we desperately need our hearts close to you. We need to come close and stay close, to abide, to live in Christ. And so uh, help us with that this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, if you like a little sarcasm and a little bit of like straight talk, then this passage is for you. Because um, he, he, Paul, he, he's been working all through 2 Corinthians on a lot of hard stuff. And uh, he's been implying all along that this has been hard. He said, look, I was, remember I was at Corinth and we had this, we had this public disagreement. You guys kind of didn't take my side and I feel bad about that. And now if you remember, he's not the, he spent 18 months there. He's not there anymore. He's been writing letters to them. He's been sending partners and ministry to them. And he's been trying to make certain that the church is going to work out really important stuff and be in the right under the authority of God's word. He really wants to make sure that that's happening. 1 Corinthians, remember he wrote some hard stuff about immorality in the church. He wrote some hard stuff about, hey, there's fighting and divisions in the church. That shouldn't be. He wrote some hard stuff about uh, the Lord's Supper and saying, look, I mean, when you guys come together, make sure that there's no, like, even financial uh, categories. Rich and poor, don't worry about poor, don't worry about rich. All of you come together. And then at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, 15, in the end of 1 Corinthians, he says, here's another problem. You don't all believe the resurrection. You've got to believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then we're kidding ourselves. And so uh, that was 1 Corinthians, and so you see the kinds of problems that are in the church. Immorality, uh, uh, bad behavior of one another, divisions, and even some who didn't believe the resurrection of Jesus. Paul is so just like focused on, we got to fix these issues. And now in 2 Corinthians, he continues all of that. And uh, he's continuing to address some, some hard issues. But I, I started to say before, he, he was personally attacked and he took it personally. You will note that as he is uh, addressing the situation here in 2 Corinthians 11, he speaks of the, the Corinthians being loyal to him. Uh, taking his word for it because he is an apostle from Christ and these guys coming in are, are not. So he says, uh, as we start in verse 1, let's jump in together, uh, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. And the word bear with me, he's, he's like saying, look, I hope you would tolerate this from me. This isn't my normal way of going about how I talk about myself. And in fact, uh, last week we, he, he talked about how the false teachers who were present there in Corinth were commending themselves. They're talking about themselves. We have a deeper secret knowledge. We, are, uh, we have an apostleship that's even better than the apostles and even better than, than Jesus. We have the ability to do signs and wonders and make this, we're going to amp this up a little bit. We're going to go bigger and better. And so they were talking about all of their stuff, and they were commending themselves. And Paul is saying, look, you Corinthians, you're not getting what I'm saying. I'm going to have to just tolerate me while I play their game for a minute. I'm going to commend myself to you like they're commending themselves to you. And so he kind of says, bear with me while I dive in, and I kind of uh, sink to their level for just a minute. You see verse 2? 
feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband. And you, you note here, he is not first saying, here is the true information you should believe about Jesus or about doctrine. He's covered all of that. He's covered this true information they should believe, and now he's saying, look, this comes down to this thing. Are you guys loyal to Jesus Christ? Are you loyal to him? Is he first in your heart? Verse 2 says real clearly there, I feel a divine jealousy for you. Sometimes we hear that word jealous, and we just think, well, jealous, jealousy is always bad. That's not good. shouldn't be jealous. And if I'm jealous of something you have, that's a sin. Bible makes that real clear. Don't covet what your neighbor has. It is wrong for me to be jealous of you. I have hardship, you have ease. You have stuff, I don't have stuff. And walking around in the church, seeing the different ways that people live their life and what different people have, jealousy is sin. I shouldn't want what they have, right? But divine jealousy is a whole other thing. Divine jealousy, uh, if you look back at Exodus chapter 20, God says, behold, I am a jealous God. What does that mean? I thought it was a sin. We just said it was a sin. Well, in God being a jealous God, what it means is he does desire the worship. He wants the worship. And if we're going to be betrothed to him, we're going to belong to him, then we need to belong to him alone and not have this duplicity or this this categorization in our hearts that, yeah, okay, we belong to God, but we're kind of flirting with a lot of other gods along the way. In essence, when Exodus chapter 20 says that God is a jealous God, is saying if we are his people, we cannot have idols in our life. You you can't serve false gods and God. It, It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. And so here, Paul is using the picture of marriage, and of course, th- that picture is good whether you're married or single. Paul being single, telling the church, you know, I, I, I was like a best man for you guys. You see what I did is I came into Corinth, and you didn't know who Jesus was, and I introduced Jesus to you as the perfect bridegroom. And, and I, as I introduced you to him, we set up the the, the reality that you're going to be like married to him and in the first century betrothal wasn't like um wasn't like being engaged today you know we we see everything these these stories of people getting engaged and there's a ring and there's a promise but if something happens in the relationship and someone's like okay this isn't going to work out you know you just like get the ring back or don't and it's over and you know no harm no foul right but in the first century that's not how it worked Betrothal was marriage. Your identity was changed. You, you're, you're done. I mean, you, you belong to that person. You are connected with one another, and there's a legal understanding and a legal fact in place. And so they would, they would use marriage to change identity and to prepare, but they use betrothal. And the concept here of this betrothal is um, you're not married yet. You haven't consummated the relationship but the identity has changed, and you're as good as married, and, and you should be faithful to one another. So look at verse 2. I feel a divine jealousy for you. I betrothed you to Jesus, to Jesus Christ, to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to him. And so he is the best man, felt this intense pressure we're going to look next week at what happens, like what is God doing when we struggle and when we have afflictions and when we have problems in this world? 
But Paul's going to go through this whole list of afflictions. And at the end of, you know, I was in, I was literally in the water. I was capsized, shipwrecked, imprisoned, beaten. But the thing that was the hardest for me, I was constantly worried about the purity of the churches all the time. I had the purity of their doctrine in my heart all the time. I was always thinking about that. I was always worried that something was going to come in and snatch that away. I was always focused. And that was my key struggle, is are they faithful to Jesus Christ? And so, in verse 2, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So, uh, with that, we kind of come to our, our first, you know, uh, principle today, and that's if we're a sincere Christ follower, we're betrothed to Jesus, right? A sincere Christ follower is learning to guard our thoughts about Jesus Christ. The battle for purity and devotion and sincerity to Jesus happens in your mind. Think about that as it relates to a, a marriage. Obviously, if you're constantly thinking about someone else, or you're constantly flirting with someone else, or you don't have appropriate boundaries in your world, then inside your mind, you're starting to have a problem. You're going the wrong direction. And the battle has to be won in your mind for purity to the one you're with. And so, a divine jealousy that Paul feels towards the Corinthians, saying, look, I betrothed you, and so we need to win the battle in our minds. Guard your thoughts about Jesus Christ. He, he wants us to stay close to him. So you see that he says, I'm afraid, verse 3, I'm afraid that as the serpent, now he's at a different marriage, isn't he? As the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, that your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He's afraid of this. He's seeing it happen. He's saying, look, these, these apostles, these false teachers are in the church. They're doing no good. We had this disagreement. You didn't take my side, and now I'm afraid that they're having an impact on the way you think about Jesus and the way that you think about what it looks like to even be a Christian. Right? So, guarding our thoughts, staying close to Jesus, this betrothal is so important. He wants them 100% faithful. Look again at verse 3, the end of verse 3. Um, that you will be led astray, note that, that the battle in our mind is a leading astray. It's an incremental change that can take place. We can easily get led astray from the sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The word sincere there talks about everything you're thinking in your mind. You've got a, you got a tape playing in your mind all the time. And it's really important that you take your thoughts captive, especially about Jesus Christ. What's he doing in the situation? Who is he in your life, in your, in your heart? We have just heard in chapter 10 about strongholds and about the importance of our thought life. And he goes right back to that and he said, look, I want you 100% committed to Jesus Christ and, 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 and faithfulness to him. The second word there, pure devotion, the word pure talks about the way you behave. By the way, most people that I talk to, when they, when they change what they believe about Jesus, they change what they believe about Jesus so they can do what they want with their life. And we're going to look at that as we continue in this passage. In other words, it's, it's not this moral argument they have about who Jesus says he is. It's this 
uh, it's a moral decision that I want to do what I want to do, and so I don't care what, what you say about Jesus. It doesn't matter what you say about Jesus. I'm going to live how I want to live. And so he's saying, I'm afraid you're going to be led astray from this sincere and pure devotion to Jesus, to Christ Jesus. And so with that said, uh, this is the, the, the encouragement to guard our hearts about Jesus Christ. And I've got three specific uh, encouragements and, and uh, exhortations this morning, okay? First thing I want to say is this, be diligent. Be diligent in what you believe about Jesus Christ. If you're this morning, you're like, you know what? Okay, that sounds good and that's positive. I need a little bit of a kick in the pants this morning though, all right? If you're in that category, here's the kick in the pants wording on that. Don't be lazy about what you believe about Jesus Christ. It is so easy to be lazy. Information about Jesus is everywhere. It's on line, it's in published books. We live in what some people call a Christian nation. You go to a Bible-believing church, and it would be easy for some of us to say, you know what, I, don't, I, don't, you know, I know I don't have the fullness of everything like figured out exactly what I believe about Jesus, but if I really had a problem, there's people at church that could help me with that. And so I kick the can down the road, and, and if I ever come a, upon a situation where I'm really struggling, I'm just going to ask for a little bit of help. Guys, it is so important that you give yourself over to the hard work of scouring the scriptures for what it says and reveals about who Jesus is so that you have it internalized in your heart. So you can have conversations with people outside of this place about who Jesus is and what he's about. Search the scriptures. Be diligent. Uh, be able to defend things like Jesus, Jesus is God. From the very outset, we should be able to say, you know, that in Genesis chapter 1, when, Jesus, when God was first revealed, he was revealed as a plural God, Elohim. Let us make man in our image from the very outset of God revealing himself to us. All through the Old Testament, we can see evidences of Jesus. And into the Newer Testament, we can see uh, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Interestingly, this last week, a state, state of theology survey was published by Ligonier Ministries, picked up by Christianity Today. It's kind of interesting to take a look at some of those things. The numbers are kind of interesting. And so the state of theology in the U.S., they, they went and found 3,000 people, and they figure about 600 of them, based on how they answered the questions, about 600 of them would, would have been considered evangelicals. They weren't going for evangelicals. And, and just so you know, evangelicals would, would place themselves under the authority of God's word, right? So of the 600 questions out there, so 98% of evangelicals believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That's pretty good. That's pretty good, 98%. 94% of evangelicals believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. That's pretty good. Uh, 71% of evangelicals believe that Jesus is God's first and uh, best uh, creation. 71% believe that Jesus was created. Now, before we're too harsh on that, I'm sure there, are some, there could be some explanations of that, but friends, it's really important that you go back to scriptures and you see Jesus wasn't created. Jesus is co-equal in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Jesus wasn't created, not a created being. 
He is co-equal. It's really important that we wrestle with what the, how the Bible reveals God to be Trinity. It's important to understand God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and how they are three in one, how they are all persons, how they make themselves known. This passage isn't a passage about Trinity, but it's really important that we believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus, and it's really important that we are diligent in our study of Scripture. So I cannot commend enough to you that you should be in the Scriptures looking for passages that teach us who Jesus is, because the false teachers came into the church, and let me just stop there. Say, well, that's not going to happen to us, so something we have to worry about. You know that Matthew chapter 24 says that in the last times, in the end times, teachers are going to come into the churches and they're going to lead so many people astray from within the churches that it's going to be like mind-boggling. Almost the elect, it says, if that were possible. Now, I'm not saying that to freak you out, but I am saying that to say there is uh, all of us are responsible to understand who Jesus is. All of us are responsible to be in the Word and considering this and thinking it through. All of us are responsible to be on guard. All of us are responsible to be uh, sounding uh, warning bells if there's trouble. Because in the the last days, if it were possible, uh, these false teachers are going to come into the church and lead some, some astray. And so it's crucial that you and I are diligent and not lazy as we search the Scriptures. All the fullness of the Godhead lives in Jesus, according to Colossians chapter 2. This battle begins in the mind, and Paul is afraid that they were going to be led astray. Be diligent. Don't be lazy. Second concept here, stay close to Jesus under uh, stay close to Jesus or uh, guarding our thoughts about Jesus, is, is be aware of the situation. Be aware of what's going on around you. Uh, check out verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, we can stop there. Be aware. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. You, do you know uh, the, the concept of if someone comes, it points you and me to the reality that the reason for unbiblical thinking The reason for deceit usually comes in a relational form. So we're cruising along, we're going along, we're we're at a good place, and we get a new relationship in our life. Young people, you got new relationships in your life, and they're all shiny, and they're beautiful, and I think that's great. The first thing that you need to do as a young person, if you have a new relationship, a new friend in your life, is go back to this point and say, okay, what do I believe about Jesus Christ? And what does this influential new person say about Jesus Christ? It's the crucial thing that can determine whether we can go forward together in relationship or not. What does the Bible say? And is this person committed to what the Bible says? And and so... uh, The reason for unbiblical thinking about Jesus is often relational. This new relationship, this boyfriend-girlfriend, this great person, they're they're really awesome, and they make me feel awesome. But what do they believe about Jesus Christ? And uh, 
Along those lines, another point of if someone comes, your adult kid is going through the, a hard situation, a difficult struggle in their life, and they come back to you with a new perspective. And so that person can be relational in your life. And parent, we can come to this place where the, the new perspective is my kid is coming home and they're bringing this information and they've been changed by a relationship and now they're trying to make the case that their new perspective is something that Jesus is fine with. Their new way of living or their new thought process about life, that's something that we need to uh, approve of or embrace. And as a parent, can I just really encourage you, love your kids, be in their life, stay connected with them, influence them. But even your kids in their new season of life and in a new struggle. Be careful. Be careful because a new perspective on what I think the Bible says, I think Jesus, I think Jesus approves this. Really? Really? Go back to the Word and hold your ground. Be aware of what's going on because the reason for unbiblical thinking, here's what happened. These people came into the church. They were charismatic. They had these acts and shows of power. They were saying, we're these, these new, we're beyond what Paul could offer you. We're beyond even what Jesus could offer you. We're super apostles. We, we have this new role and this new... Uh, uh, Activity within the church that's, that's greater even than what Paul had. And the whole church bought into it for a time and listened to what they had to say. They were relationally distracted. We get weary of disciplined effort in our thinking because it, it is hard. But if you look at verse 4, if someone comes and proclaims, that word proclaim, two things are really interesting about that word. They are going to put forth spiritual information in such a way that they want you to, to soak it in. You've got to take what they have to say. You've got to embrace where, where they're coming from. But it's also in a, in a tense that means they, they just keep on. They keep on coming and they keep on proclaiming. In the world around us, uh, you'll find new theological trends all the time. And there'll be a new discussion out there. Books written. And by the way, be real careful the books you read. Just because you bought it at Sunlight Books, and I'm not ripping on Sunlight, just because you bought it through CBD, just because you bought it, I'm not ripping on those places. I'm just telling you, be very careful. You can self-publish. You can publish stuff and all sorts of different information that is not true to God's Word. And just because somebody is the new author or the new pastor or the new teacher or the new influencer or the new voice or has a new Facebook channel or a new Facebook group or Facebook... Uh, accounts, uh, really posts beautiful things on Instagram, just because they use the word Jesus and God does not mean that they are teaching you true information. This whole passage says they're angels of light out there. They try to look the part. Be careful. Be diligent. Don't be lazy. Be aware. Don't get distracted. And they keep coming. They will keep coming. So get, get weary of dis, we get weary of disciplined effort in our thinking, but don't become weary in doing the hard work of considering what the Word reveals to us about Jesus, okay? Paul is arguing that loyalty to Jesus is not only informational, it's inspirational. Here's what I mean by that. So someone comes, you're in relationship with them. They are influencing you. Well, how did he start off this whole section of, of 2 Corinthians? He didn't start off this whole information, this whole section by saying, believe true information about Jesus. 
He started off this whole section by saying, hey guys, here, let me remind you. You're betrothed to Jesus. Here's what he said. You're in your first relationship in life is Jesus. Him first. Him first. When I stand up in front, uh, when Bennett stands up in front, when Gary, any of the pastors stand up and talk about Jesus, it's so beautiful to go to Genesis 3 and Genesis 2, I should say, and talk about the beauty of marriage. For this reason, a man will leave every other relationship in his life, including to his mother and his father, and will prioritize this relationship to his wife above every other relationship for the rest of his life. And that's what Paul has said. Here's why you should stay close to Jesus. He, you're married to him. He's your first priority. We, the true information we talked about in chapters 1 through 10, now we're talking about this, loyalty. Loyalty to the one who loves you, who gave his life for you. Loyalty to the one who is your, uh, your, you've committed yourself to for the rest of your days, be, and into eternity for that matter. Be diligent, be aware. Thirdly, be strong. And again, if you need a kick in the pants and you want that worded a different way, do not be a theological wimp. Don't be wimpy. Well, you know, shouldn't we be tolerant to a lot of different people's ideas? That's how the church at Corinth got in a, into a world of hurt. Should, shouldn't we just let everybody have an opinion about who, who Jesus is? Listen, we can let people have opinions about many things, and we've said this often here that, that equal toleration does not mean equal validity. So we can tolerate a lot of different people's opinions and thoughts about it, a lot of different things, but within the church, we will teach one doctrine about Jesus Christ. It'll be the doctrine that flows from the Word, from the Word of God. Look at verse 4. For if someone comes, proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, if you receive a different spirit, by the way, you swallow another Jesus, guaranteed it's going to lead to a different spirit, not the Holy Spirit. Another Jesus is a different starting point. If you have the genuine Jesus, hold to him. As we have the genuine Jesus of the Scriptures, hold to him. Because adding something from the culture, adding something from, from, from a friend who's maybe confused at this moment, adding something to the genuine Jesus makes him another Jesus. And that changes the spirit. It changes the, the mission we're on. Look at, look at what he says there. If you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel, a different version of the good news, Listen, if we accept a different Jesus, we're going to get to a different gospel really quickly. And we're not going to talk about the fact that Jesus is our substitutionary atonement. We're not going to talk about the fact that he stood in our place. We're not going to talk about the fact that, that he accomplished everything and our work adds nothing to what he did. Yes, we work in him and with him. Uh, yes, we uh, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Definitely, we work, right? Um. But we're going to get on in a hurry to a different gospel. And the different gospel will be about being a good person, being a nice person, loving everyone, just love, love, love. And we should love, not mocking love. But I am making a statement that if we start with a different Jesus, we're going to get to a different version of the good news. All that to, to get us back to verse 4. A different gospel, at the end of verse 4, you accept a different gospel uh, from the one you accepted you put up with it readily enough. 
And that word put up with is the, the same word uh, for tolerate. You tolerate it. Th- that word is used five times in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You, you, you just tolerate. You, you tolerate untruth in the church. Oh, and by the way, if you want to see the five places, verse 1, it's used twice. I wish you would tolerate me while I sink to the level of my opponents. Tolerate me. Uh, verse 4, uh, you put up with inappropriate teaching about Jesus Christ in the church. Don't tolerate the false teachers. And then next week, we'll look at it again in verses 19 and 20. You gladly tolerate fools being wise yourself, for, for you tolerate it if someone makes slaves of you. And so this whole of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it's all about don't tolerate certain things within the church and certainly don't tolerate a change in Jesus. We've got to hold to the Jesus of the Scriptures and not let the, the uh, mindset of this world make a switch on us. For, for me, it brought... Uh, well, let me, let me just say this before we get to that story. Um, be strong. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. You see in verse 4, verse 3, excuse me, I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his coming. uh, No, I do want verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims, look what he says there, another Jesus. Do you see that? Now, why he used the word Jesus, it's the human name for Jesus and not Christ. When if you look down every other time he refers to Christ in this passage, he talks about Christ. Christ is anointed one. Christ is Messiah. You anoint a king. Christ is king. Christ is Lord. But the, the false teachers come in and they're going to make a little subtle difference. They'll use the word Jesus. They'll talk about Jesus, but they don't want to talk about Lord. They don't want to talk about commands. They don't want to talk about he has the right to rule. They don't want to talk about submission. They don't want to talk about obedience. My friends, we cannot be the kinds of people who leave this place and wander out into Sheboygan and live completely disobedient lives to Jesus Monday through Saturday. You know, we don't take our thoughts captive and we don't take our emotions to the cross and we don't ask Jesus to transform us and we spend our time on all the things we want to spend our time on and we spend our money on all the things we want to spend our money on and we don't interact with the Word and we don't interact with Jesus and we don't have the Spirit convicting us. We don't do anything that would show that Christ is our Lord and we get back here on Sunday morning and we continue our worship as if that's totally normal. Can I just tell you, if we are going to be the people of God, changing and ready to address the needs of our culture, Jesus is going to have to be not just a good human example, not just a a really cool teacher, not just somebody that we kind of emulate a little bit, not just somebody that we put on our our, cross or a fish that we put on our cars. Jesus is going to have to be Lord of our lives. Is he Lord of your life? Here's a question that I really considered this week. What have I done in the last two weeks of my life that I did not want to do that I did because Jesus is my Lord? He called me to do it. I was inter- maybe you were interacting with the Word. The Spirit was convicting you. Jesus had, had revealed a commandment 
of his, and you realize, man, I'm gonna, I gotta do that. Maybe it's in the area of compassion. Maybe it's in the area of kindness. Maybe it's in the area of obedient financially. But something you don't normally do and you wouldn't have done, but you did it because, because Christ is your Lord. Because Jesus is our, he's gotta be our Lord. Don't be a wimp. Do not be a spiritual wimp walking around and kind of letting everything go. And again, the end of verse 4 there, you put up with it. You put up with it readily enough. Just a, just a form. Just the name. Just Jesus, the name. Just like talking about Jesus. But there's a rub. There's a friction point. There's a place at which you've got to work out your salvation. Jesus is Lord. And so uh, if we're, we need to stay close to Jesus and understand he's calling us to a close relationship with God. And so we are diligent, not lazy. So we search the scriptures. We are aware that when a new relationship comes in, we have to understand where that person's coming from. And uh, yeah, obviously celebrate what God's doing in their life, but be very careful and we need, we need to be strong and not wimpy. These Corinthians let these false teachers in. They did not stand up for Paul. And they tolerated that which is not true about Jesus. You know the picture for me? It's, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys know that story, right? Daniel chapter 3. It's an amazing story. So let me tell it to you in brevity. And let me tell it to you for the purpose of, of exposing what I think is beautiful that relates to this passage here. Okay? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in Israel taken captive against their will. And so they're taken captive to Babylon and they are forced into four years of school, college basically. They are taken from their families. Everything about their rights has changed. And they're put in a situation where... Um, you know, they look different, and they have different clothes. And so far, so good, they tolerate that. And that's not wrong. So let me just put this for you parents out there. Can I just kind of throw it out there? Here's, here's what happened. An enemy army came in, took children away, brought them to a foreign country, changed the way they look, probably had, they had no contact with their parents for the rest of their lives, educated them, taught them a new language. They looked totally different and gave them different jobs and roles far away from the country that they grew up in. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, okay, fine. That's, that's fine. So far, you haven't violated anything that I can't, I can't live with. I can, live, I can tolerate all those things if that's what happens. And I know I'm talking some crazy stuff because I don't have little kids at home, but um, emotionally speaking, how we would deal with that, it's crazy to think of that. But, but they didn't demand their rights. They didn't uh, get all crazy politically. They didn't go, go, go hog wild or go crazy with demanding that they are uh, you know, able to observe feasts that their people back in Israel were observing. Okay, I'll do all that. Then the king came and said, okay, now uh, I'm going to put up this statue. And when the music plays, I want you all to bow down to this false god. Now, can I tell you where we started today? God's a jealous God. No false gods. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, yes, 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 yes. I can do that. I can do that. But when the music played, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, I can't do that. That's where the line is. That's what I can't tolerate. I can't go there. Can't go there. 
They're brought before the king, and the king says, hey, maybe we have a misunderstanding here. I said, if you don't bow down, you're going to die. So let me play the music again. And you remember what they said in Daniel chapter 3? Oh, king, play the music if you want to. We don't have to answer you. We don't answer to you. Our God is the only God. He is the true God. And if you need to punish us uh, for not bowing down to a false idol, have at it. You can play the music again all you want to. Our God is able to deliver us from your hand. But if not, King, it doesn't matter. We're not bowing down to a false idol no matter what you do. No matter what. God's able to deliver us. And what they were saying there in Daniel chapter 3 was he can deliver us through death and we'll go to the fiery furnace and we'll be fine because we were faithful. Or he could deliver us in life and do what he did. You remember what happened. Jesus appears to them in the, we believe it's Jesus, in the fiery furnace, delivers them. They come out. The people that throw them in the fiery furnace die, but they, they're fine in there. They come out. They don't even smell like they've been you know, grilling. They're fine. They're fine. And here's the point. Here's the point. Be strong. Don't be a wimp. Know when you can tolerate, and you can tolerate a lot, but know where the line is where you say, listen, no, our God's a jealous God. I am not, under any circumstance, serving a false God. I know where the line is, and I'm not crossing it. We will not serve anyone but Jesus. We're betrothed to him. We're married to him. He's our guy, and only Jesus is our the one we're married to is our husband, if you will. My, my friends, this is, a, for me, it's been transforming because it, it puts the onus on all of us to say, hey, there's an end times coming and there's going to be some false teachers and all of us need to be aware of what to do when someone comes in and here's what we need to do to get ready for that. Study the scriptures. Understand what it teaches about Jesus Christ. Be aware that new relationships in life are moments when, and new transitions in life are moments when you could change everything you said you believed about Jesus if you're not careful. And, and be strong. Don't be wimpy because Jesus is your Lord. Well, as we close up, two quick uh, concepts, and that's this. Uh, so we guard our thoughts about Jesus Christ. Learn to recognize who the true servants are. Sincere Christ followers learning to accept true servants of Jesus Christ. Paul makes the case here in verses 11 down through, uh, excuse me, uh, 7 down to 11, that he is a true servant of the Lord. And he starts kind of putting out the list of, of why he is. If you look at verse 7, he says, uh, I, I'm humble. So it's ironic to write, I'm humble, right? But did I commit a sin in humbling myself? that you may be exalted. He was about the good of the people. He was about building the people up. The false apostles, the false teachers were about tearing down. He was about integrity, not asking for more. He's not peddling the word of God, trying to get rich off of it. He, he was about the word of God. Look at verse 10. Here's how you know a, a servant is true. Always going back to the word of God and showing you in context what the word is saying. Verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, he says. And then look at verse 11, his motivation for doing this. I, Paul loved the church. Just, I love you guys. I love you. And I want what's best for you. 
And so he continued to put forth the, the word of God to help them. And why? Because I love you. God knows I love you. And then we're also learning to accept, or excuse me, we're learning to reject false servants. You know, that's the whole point of this passage. It's hard to teach a servant. You know, let's take these 15 verses. Let's make sure we reject false teachers, right? That's tough. That's tough, but that's what the point of these verses are. Be aware of Jesus so that you can reject people who are not on his plan. We're not his apostles. And, and here's where Paul gets so unbelievably frank. You know, he's been sarcastic in the first few verses here. He's talking about bearing with me and super apostles. And he's talking about them like, uh, well, again, he's, he's uh, sarcastic. But now look, as he, as he finishes up, he's not sarcastic. He's very serious. Verse 12. What I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim. He wants to undermine the false apostles, but those who would like to claim their boasted mission. They were basically saying, hey, we're just like Paul, we're, but we're better. We're super apostles. And he's saying, no, they're not like me. They're not like us at all. So examine their words, right? So verse 12, excuse me, uh, yeah, verse 12, um, he's saying these guys are false, verse 13, false apostles. So he's called them super apostles in jest, now he's calling them false apostles, right? They, they're deceitful workmen. False teachers, they deceive. There's spin on everything. There's words, words. And look how they disguise themselves. They're trying to look the part. They're trying to look on the outside like they, they, they uh, think the, uh, the other apostles, the true, the true servants of the Lord, look. They're disguising themselves. So these, they're false and they're deceitful. And look at verse 14 as he gets very blunt. No wonder... For Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And he's saying this false spirit, this other spirit that you have accepted, it wasn't the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of this age. To be blunt, it's demons. It's, it's Satan working in the church when we, when we believe something different about Jesus Christ. They're Satan's servants and they're disguised and he says that judgment will come to them. He's very blunt about that. So my friends, uh, we live closer to the end times than any of our predecessors. Don't be worried. Nothing to be worried about. This passage doesn't say freak out and look for false teachers under every rock. It doesn't say that. It says be married to Jesus. Jesus Christ. Love him with your whole heart. As you devote yourself to him purely and sincerely, you will be aware when there are false teachers. If you come upon false teachers, all of us have the responsibility to expose them and to stand up for the truth and to move them outside and to encourage your friend who has not yet seen it. Right? Be careful with your relationships. Be careful and be diligent to give yourself over to the study of God's word because these false teachers are going to come again. They're going to come continually. And you and I, we need to be ready. We need to be ready to stand on the truth and ready to stand for the one we're married to. Hey, guys, you're betrothed to Jesus now. When he returns and takes us to be with him, marriage will be full. Oh, man, we serve a good, good God. Let's be on the alert together. Would you stand with me? We'll close in prayer. Lord, dismiss us from this place with your blessing. We have sweet fellowship even now with our friends in this room. We, we aren't all about looking for false teachers everywhere and on some kind of witch hunt. 
We're all about Jesus, Jesus Christ. We love him. And I pray for the one whose heart uh, moved a little recently, maybe because of a relationship. Would you encourage us? Help us do a gut check. If that relationship has any movement away from, Paul used the term uh, to, to, uh, to inch away from in this passage, help us not inch away at all. But help us devote ourselves to what the Word says about Jesus Christ. To be tolerant in many places, yes, but not to tolerate false thinking about Jesus and not to tolerate idolatry. We hold you up as the one and only living God. You are good to us, Lord. So help us as we uh, step into that relationship of being betrothed to you. Dismiss us with your blessing, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.